you're here and you know Christ is your personal Savior. But you've been wandering far from God. And there's an issue in your life that needs to change. It could be a it could be an attitude. It could be some monstrous thing that not even your parents know about. It could be it could be heroin. And God said this, Jesus said this, 
Now that is great when you're in a pit, right? When the doctor tells you something bad, when the house is going to be foreclosed, when your wife walks out on you. Don't you love that verse? He will never leave me nor forsake me. Say amen. Amen.
It looks like a lot of fun. My parents just don't want me to have a good time. My dad is overprotective. Right? And so this is my opinion. This isn't in the Bible. It's just my thought. This is how I think Saul thought. 
So I was, okay, well then I will send, you know, rougher guys. I'll send guys who probably aren't really too, non-religious guys, horrible word. But I'll send non-religious guys. And so he sends some rougher guys and stuff like that. And they come in and they see David and there's Samuel. And there's all these young preachers and they're praising and prophesying. And they see the first guys that came over. And they're probably in their mind thinking, well, they were weak-minded. Only a weak-minded person would get sucked up into this God thing. And they go in and the Spirit of God is so strong that they too get sucked into it. And they start proclaiming and praising and talking about God. Well, the word gets back to Saul, and I think this is how he did it, my opinion, that Saul goes, okay, let's get the worst of the worst. Give me the guys who are cheating on their wives. Give me guys who are borderline murderers. Give me some of the really bad dudes because there's no way that the Spirit of God can reach them. So he gets the worst of the worst, and they go, and they go to get David, and there's the group one, there's group two, there's David, there's Samuel, there's the young preachers, and they're prophesying and everything. And what happens is, they go into the midst of them, and they begin to prophesy too. Listen, if you're here and you think, you know, there's somebody I love so much, but God could never reach them. My son is so far gone, God, God, God could never do anything with them. Now, I mentioned that uh, Pacific Garden Rescue Mission. Many of you may not know this, you don't know your church history, but a young guy who's a drunk, he was a professional baseball player when the Pacific Garden Mission was in his original place in Chicago. And he was a drunk and he had a lot of problems in his life and he walked into that rescue mission, a professional baseball player by the name of Billy Sunday. accepted Christ when Billy Sunday became a preacher that went around this country just tearing up this country for Jesus. And I'm sure many people when they saw Billy Sunday, the drunk, the professional player, would have thought, God could never do anything with God. That person is beyond being reached. No one is beyond the power of God. No one you care about, no one that you love is too far gone that God cannot bring them back. Listen, if you go into the presence of God, there's three things that are possible. There's three things that are always present. Isn't it amazing how they all start with P? Why do preachers do this, man? Why do we do this? There's three things about the presence of God. It's prayer, it's praise, and it's proclaiming. Believer, I, I just want the presence of God like that. I just want to feel God's power. I just want God to do something with me. You know what you need to be involved in? Prayer, praise, and proclaiming. And by the way, proclaiming is just simply telling people about Jesus. It's just telling them how you accept Christ and what Jesus and God has done in your life. You can throw in John 3.16. You don't have to be. You say, well, Pastor, these were special people. These were, these were beyond the average person. And only the average person can do this. There's elite. You know, there's normal Christians. And then there's super Christians. There's this elite. That is a pagan Gnosticic view. That is ungodly. That is not the Bible. Because here, if you're taking notes, throw this up here. The Holy Spirit is in all believers. Romans 8 9 tells us, now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Listen, some people will tell you, okay, you're saved, but you don't have the Holy Spirit until you do, and then they say, insert this into it. It could be something like speaking in tongues. It could be something as great as taking the pastor to lunch and paying for it, Chris. Thomas. It could be something like that. But listen, no. When you accepted Christ as your personal Savior, you were indwelled by the Holy Spirit. You were baptized by the Holy Spirit. The issue has never been whether the Holy Spirit will lead you. The issue is, are you quenching the Spirit's power? Are you walking away from the power of the Holy Spirit and not being involved in prayer, praise, and proclaiming? Now, let me just say this to you for a second. 
Okay, we, we need to talk, okay? Because there's some people teaching falsehoods, and most of them are on TV. When you get involved in prayer, praise, and proclaiming, and the Holy Spirit starts to take control, you will do things you never thought possible. You will be able to do things. Now, here's the problem. The, the, the false teachers and stuff are going to say yes, and that's why you should be rich. And that's why you should never be sick. And that's why you should never have any problems. In fact, there's people like Kenneth Copeland who get up and say, I'm not a millionaire, I'm a billionaire. Because of this, because of the power of the Holy Spirit. Listen, the power of the Holy Spirit has really little to do about you. but has to do with you ministering to other people. Amen. It's not being able to pick the right stock tips, right? That's not what it's about. That power is about you being able to forgive someone you thought you never could. That power is about you being able to tell somebody about Jesus. You say, oh, I'm not a, I'm a quiet person. I couldn't do that. You're right. I'm glad you can't do it. But if you're here and you know Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit power is about you ministering to someone else and doing something you could never do. Now listen, you're here and you say, I could never teach a class. There's an echo right there. Right? <laughs> I should preach the entire time here. It is God. <laughs> and you think, I could never teach a class. I, I just would like to say to you, politely, that's not God telling you that. Because with the power of the Holy Spirit, those are the things you can do. It's not about you getting rich. It's not about you getting healthy. It's not about you, 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 you. We've made Jesus into some sort of get-rich-quick marketing scheme, and that is not what it's about. It's about you ministering, forgiving, loving, teaching, and telling other people the good news that Jesus saves. See, I want that, Pastor. I want that. Can I just ask you politely? Why? Because I want to feel the hair on my neck stand up. I just want to have some amazing... Then you need to give yourself one of those like Tesla balls and just put your hand on it, okay? <laughs> because that's not what the Holy Spirit's about. A, a little other side note. Last night, in our, in our Sunday night, Saturday night, our speaker, uh, one of our church planners, talked about 1 Kings 13. And talked about a young prophet, a young man of God, a young preacher, being pulled off sides and being pulled into an area where he shouldn't have done by an older prophet who said, an angel told me to do this. It was the exact opposite of what God said. And he got pulled off side and eventually because he did that, he disobeyed God, he died. <laughs> Paul was saying Galatians 1, if an angel appears to you and says something contrary, don't listen. He said, how do I know it's the spirit of God or not a demonic spirit or just my own personal selfish desires? If it conflicts with the word of God, it's not of God. You understand? He said, well, the Spirit of God has told me that in order to go to heaven, I have to walk around the church ten times. That's what the Spirit is telling me. Well, that's not God's Spirit because that directly conflicts the Word of God. The Word of God says the only people that go to heaven are the people that receive Jesus as their personal Savior. So if the Word of God, if the Spirit is telling you something contrary, if you're here and you're a man, I've had men do this, and I'll tell you the same thing from here, I'll tell you privately. I've had men come to me and say, I've prayed about it, and the Spirit of God has told me that I should leave my wife. And I said, that is not God's spirit. That is either demonic or that is your own lust. What's her name? And you need to repent. 
Because God's spirit will not tell you to do something that contradicts us. Do you understand me? Say it enough. It will not tell you. But listen, what's pushing you, what's pushing you to get closer to Jesus, what's pushing you to come back, what's telling you that you're, you're, you can be forgiven, it's the spirit God trying to draw you. God loves you too much to let you go. Number two. The opportunity to return, this is awesome, is always possible. Okay, Saul's a bad guy. He's a horrible guy. He's trying to murder people. There's no way Saul could get saved. Or he's already saved. There's no way Scott would take him back. Look at verse 22. Then he, which is Saul, also uh, to Ramah, and came to a great well that was at Sechar. And he asked and said, where is Samuel David? And one said, behold, he be, they be at Naoth Ramah. Ramah is interesting because Ramah is basically where Saul's home is. 1 Samuel 16, 13, and 1 Samuel 15, 35. I want to talk for a second about home, okay? I want to mention home, and I need your parents, and I need you to listen to me as we talk about this just for a second, okay, parents? Home is where you are always accepted. Now, that's a very dangerous phrase that's being used, and I want to correct this. I want to make sure that we talk about this correctly. We accept our children, amen? amen. But that does not mean... I accept a sin or an addiction they're involved in. Alright? My son, my daughters, they have a place in my home. I have some requirements, I have some qualifications that they have to do. Mom and dad, always know this. Your, your love is unconditional, but there's strings that come with your money. Amen? There's some qualifications. But my kids need to know, go back, go back that in. My kids need to know that they are always loved by their dad. Now, if one of my kids gets involved in drugs, do I stop loving them? But you know what I might have to do? They're an adult. I might have to ask them to move out because I can't trust them in the house anymore. I'll meet you and I'll be, spend time with you. I love you. But you're always part of me, but I have to put some qualifications and some barriers on you physically. Do you understand that practicing tough love does not mean you don't love someone? But parents... Your child comes home and they, they announce something, right? They go off to college and they come back and say, I'm now an insert, right? You know, I, I got a whole bunch of jokes I could say, but there is no. Anyway, so. I have so many good jokes. I'll tell you later. Anyways, you know, I am. You'd say, what do you do? Get out! And, well, no. Um, my home is not going to be a place where you're going to engage in that activity. Whether it's a, with a person, or whether it's a drug, or whether it's whatever. But you are always loved by me. You see the difference? I'm always accepting you. You. But I'm never going to change my theology or my beliefs just because you have changed something about yourself. He said, someone asked me this whole craze before about, you know, people changing genders and stuff like that. He said, well, Pastor, what would you do if one of your children and stuff like that? And uh, I think they thought I would, like, punch them or something like that. And I would be like, ah! I, mean, I, still, I still love them. I'm going to tell them, you are always loved by me. And you are always welcomed in my home as long as you don't bring stuff into it. And I'm going to try to encourage you to get counseling. I'm going to try to get you some therapy. I'm going to try to love you. I will not accept 
a sin, but I will always accept my children. You see the difference? Take a stand, have biblical morality, but don't stop loving your son. Just like Saul, they can come home. They can come back. Now, parents, I want to I want to you more. All right, you're like, oh, man, yell at the young people again. <laughs> parents, this is all about you. I need you to listen to this part. Throw this out there. A parent in the home, okay? A parent's job is to create a place of safety and peace. Your home needs to be the place, like the world, school, everything, oh, chaos, everything. Your kids need to know that when they step into that place, there's safety and there's peace. Now, everybody fights. Everybody has arguments. There's conflict every time, right? There's always those situations. But those need to be the rare times instead of the constant times where you come home and your kids are like, okay, got to go home. Let's go because who knows what I'm going to get with dad? Who knows what I'm going to get with mom? Everything. Parents. Your job is to sacrifice. Listen to me here. I want to offend you. Your job is to sacrifice, parents. Everything you have goes out the window. Everything you plan you have for the future ends the moment you bring a child into this world. I'll, I'll correct it the moment you bring conception of a child into this world. Once you become a parent, well, this is what I want to do. Okay, you're not a parent. Go free. Knock yourself out. Travel the world. Do everything and stuff. But the minute you become dad, the minute you become mom, your job is to sacrifice and to give up everything about your future. Amen? I'm going to give you some ideas what I'm talking about. Maybe, maybe if you're a single parent, you don't date until your kids are older. <laughs> Maybe it's time you go to AA and get dried out. Maybe you need to go to rehab. Maybe, sir, it's time you say, you know what? I'm tired of my wife taking the kids to church and dragging our family to church. I am going to sacrifice and I'm going to be the spiritual leader of our home. And I'm going to make sure that Jesus reigns in this house. Maybe, sir, ma'am. Maybe you turn down a promotion, but it's more money, so obviously it's God's will. But it's going to take you so far from home, you're never going to be around, you're going to be gone so much. Maybe you turn that opportunity down, because why? Well, that's good for my career. What's a parent's job? Sacrifice. Mom, you sacrificed your life, you sacrificed your body to bring that child in. Sir? You sacrifice your career, you sacrifice everything, you sacrifice what you want. You might have to sacrifice a cottage up north, you might have to sacrifice season tickets for the, with the Lions. <laughs> not a big sacrifice. You sacrifice. You want to know if you're not sacrificing? When I started saying some of that stuff, you in your mind went, but I, but my, but me. A parent's job is to sacrifice. And some parents, listen, sometimes you have to sacrifice being liked by your kids. If your teenagers like you, you're doing it wrong. Hey? Yes! Doing it right. Seriously. But my son is my best friend. No. Why are you robbing your son of a mom, 
your son of a dad. You know why kids have a lot of friends? Because friends never tell you no. Right? Dads tell you no. Dads bail you out. Dads correct you. You become friends when they become old. When they have their own kids and come back. And go, I can't believe it. You just go, yeah. <laughs> I can't wait. I cannot. Reagan's going to get married probably next year and stuff. And, oh, I can't wait till my children start getting married and have kids and everything. I'm going to be the worst grandparent ever. <laughs> and my grandkid babies are going to come to me and be like, you know, I'm 13 and my dad won't let me stay out as late as I want. And I'm going to be like, he's horrible. <laughs> you should stay out. He was rotten as a kid. I don't know who raised him. Yes, you know, 17, sure you should get that face tattoo. I don't know My kids are going to be like, who is this man? Because it's not my responsibility. I'm going to be a pet grandparent. I'm going to spoil them. But you're gonna, they can only have this much candy. Oh, sure, as soon as they're gone. Here, here's a bucket load. I'll go home with them and bounce off the walls. Yes. I just can't wait to be a horrible grandparent. But anyway, but that's what a grandparent does, right? Parents have to be the bad guy. Mom and Dad, make your home a place your kids always can know they can come back. You want to know why? Why that's important? Because if they know they can go to your physical home, right? They know that their physical dad is a good man who will bring them back. They will instantaneously know that their heavenly fathers the same way. And number three, that's a lovely thing, but number three, I went to public school. Number. Three. Right. Number three, requires surrender. Okay, weirdest passage. If anyone ever asks you your life verse, make 1 Samuel 19, 24 your life verse because it is a crazy verse, okay? This is the type of passage people would skip over, okay? Write this down. If you ever have to like put under a thing, what is your life verse? If anyone ever asks you to sign the Bible, sign 1 Samuel 19, 24. Right? Watch what happens, all right? Most preachers would skip this over. I'm brave. <laughs> Or crazy. Verse 23. And he went thither to Naoth to Ramah, and the Spirit of God was upon him also. This is Saul coming in, King Saul. And he went on and prophesied. This is Saul. God, Saul's too far. He's a murderer. He's trying to, he's a bad dude. He's too far from God. Until he came to Naoth to Ramah. And here's the weird verse in verse 24. And he stripped off his clothes also. <laughs> what a great life verse. And prophesied before Samuel in like manner, and lay down naked all that day and all that night. Wherewith, wherewithal they say, is Saul also among the prophets? Let me just tell you what was actually happening here. Most theologians believe that Saul doesn't go like nothing, right? Doesn't strip down his birthday suit. What he says is he stripped off and took off what is, he's taking off is that kingly robe. You see, Saul's problem wasn't that God wasn't faithful. Saul's problem wasn't even that he got involved with sin with women like David, right? That wasn't Saul's problem. Saul's problem was pride. He had those kingly robes, and he liked people to know who he was, that he was the king and he was in charge. And when he came into the presence of God, he took off the thing that was keeping him from God. <laughs> Saul's not completely naked, no. It's that robe, that symbol of his pride that he lays down and goes to. You know, I think of the New Testament passage when, it, when Paul was saying Philippians, there's going to come a time. Every person who's ever been alive, every person who's ever had a soul, will be in the presence of Jesus, and every tongue will confess that he is Lord, and every knee will bow. When you enter the 
presence of God, you can have nothing more than humility and surrender. You want to surrender? There's two things you got to do. Number one, drop what's keeping you from serving him. For Saul, it was his robes. For you, whatever it is, it's not worth it. This is the thing I told 930 about this. This is why I like teenagers and students and college kids more than old people at times. Because I will preach stuff like this, and I will talk about dropping your life at the altar. I will talk about giving up a sin, and I've had this happen in my life. I've preached a message just like this about dropping up, giving an invitation like we're about to do. And I've had young people come up. I've had uh, cigarettes put in my hand. I've had weed put in my hand. I've had cocaine put in my hand. I've had pills put in my hand. I had somebody put a number of a girl in my hand and stuff like this because it was like some girl they didn't want to call anymore and stuff like that. Just so you know, I took all that and threw it all away. Okay, Pastor wasn't going, hey, let's roll this up. No, no, <laughs> threw it all away. Remember what this does? No, no, I did not do that. I threw it all away just so you know that. But I will say this same message to like the 930 group. I will say this to uh, adults who are established in their career. I'll say this to senior citizens. God wants you to sacrifice and put your life on the altar and give up everything and do with this and this. And they will go, oh, that's wonderful for our, for our young people. I'll tell you something. You know who God wants to sacrifice and drop everything to surrender to him? If you're 86 or 16, he expects the same from all of you. Whatever you got could be a girl. Facebook, it could be a drug, whatever it is, it's not worth it. Drop it and experience the power and presence of God. Number two, <coughs> open yourself up to Him. This is really hard. You know how teenage boys are? Most boys do is this, right? They come over. Because that's an impossible thing to do with most boys. 
They come over and they say, hey, we're in the same algebra class. Can I get your notes? You're a horrible actor. <laughs> right? They do that, right? And then they just kind of sit down and they start to get in the group and they're friends, right? And I told this to high school girls all the time. You have no guy friends. <laughs> yes, I do! No, you only have guys who want to date you, but they're too afraid to ask you out. <laughs> right? And this is what I told them. They're like, oh, that's not right. They're like, okay, next time you're at a movie with them or you're at church or sitting by them and stuff, just reach over. Right? Just pretend we're at a movie theater on a girl. <laughs> just reach over and hold his hand. That's like he's having a hard time with this. If it's, because if it was his guy friend, what he would do? Punch him! Or if, if you were just friends, what he would do? He would go, oh, we're just friends, don't do that. But, but every girl knows what would happen. He'd keep holding it, right? Why do guys do that? Because they are afraid of rejection. Because they're afraid of opening themselves up. Why do so many of you and so many people who know Christ for not open all the way up to Christ? And make yourself vulnerable. Your dad let you down. Left. Mom loved alcohol more than she loved you. Grandma told you you were useless. You went to this one church, you got involved, and everybody stabbed you in the back. Pissed you back. Tried it, I tried it, I tried it. Here's the thing you need to understand. Jesus is not a teenage girl. <laughs> you open yourself up. You open yourself up, and you're afraid, right? I really, truly, that's, isn't this ironic? This is really real. Many people are completely afraid to totally vulnerable to Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Because if I open up, my history tells me what? They're going to reject me. They're going to walk away from me. Maybe this is what somebody needs to acknowledge. God is not like your dad. <coughs> Jesus is not like your mom. And the Holy Spirit is not like everybody who told you to work with us. It would be probably the hardest thing you might ever do in your life to completely surrender to God. Because it means really, really being vulnerable. And you've tried it before and it hasn't worked out. But my God will never leave you nor will never stop loving you. Usually I end with a little story, right? I tell a joke or something. I don't want to. I had something prepared, but I don't want to. Mary Vale walked in my office uh, last week, and she gave me this article. She said, did you see this? And she printed it out and gave it to me. It's from USA Today. It's, one, it's, it's like one of the worst things I've ever read in my life. She said, Christy, why is this so important about creating a home life? About a home life because, because our kids... They need a mom and they need a dad. You need to protect your home. Because if they can't be vulnerable and open at home, they won't be vulnerable and open with God. If they think dad is untrustworthy, and just, then they're going to think God is the same way. 
Kids are not being raised in this culture. They're surviving. And Mary gave me this article, and it's it absolutely horrible. It says that most teenagers, young adults, and like college and age group, they are the loneliest generation ever on the planet. They said they are more lonely. Most college kids and most high school kids are more lonely statistically than senior citizens who are in a nursing home and no one comes to visit. That they are ranked more than those people. And they asked them these questions, and they said 47% of most young adults and teenagers feel left out. 46% said sometimes they feel completely or always alone. 43% said they feel that their relationships are not meaningful. And 43% said they feel isolated from others and from home. Now, listen, we can attribute some of this to, to Facebook and Twitter and the social media that some of you, we used to have these things called conversations. It was phenomenal. You talk to people face to face. Try it sometimes. It, it's a weird experiment. And you can attribute some of it to that. But the biggest attribute to this generation and why is because they don't feel accepted love. They don't feel peace at home. And we are raising a fragmented society. So here is my invitation. If you don't know Christ, every week we tell you the opportunity to be saved. If you are that person who is away from Jesus, you're pushing down the voice, why don't you give up? Why don't you quit? Why don't you come home here and surrender? And use this altar. No one will bother you. You don't have to tell me anything. Some of you, why don't you come to the forward and the altar when we sing and actually be vulnerable to the Holy Spirit. Be vulnerable and to really tell Jesus some things that you have not been telling anybody and really just kind of, oh. You're here and you're married. You're here and you're a leader of a home. This invitation is for you. You need to come forward today and just beg God to protect your kids. Beg God to protect your marriage and beg God to protect your home. You dedicate your kids to Christ today. You tell them, these are yours, God. These babies belong to you. If there is somebody in here and you have someone you love that is one of these people. Man, I wish my brother would get saved. I just wish my dad would get saved. There's no way. When you remember the story of Saul going into the presence of God and finally surrendering, no one is too far gone that God can't get. That's our invitation today. So bow your head and close your eyes. Dear Heavenly Father, bless our time together and bless our invitation. Lord, if there's someone who needs to know you, let it be today. Lord, if there's a believer who's just got some issue, it doesn't matter what. I don't care what it is, God. I don't care what anybody did last night in this room because you don't care. Just as an opportunity today, Lord, to come back. There's something pushing on them. They're saved. They know that. But the Holy Spirit, just, just finally surrender. Just finally give up on it. Someone be vulnerable, Lord. They hold back because they don't feel like they can trust anyone. Let them finally, Lord, in faith, start to trust you. And Lord, if there's a family that's, God, if there's a marriage, if there's a leader of a home who's thinking about just bailing on it, just, Lord, let your Holy Spirit encourage them. Yes, bring them back. They can 